Hey, welcome back, guys, uh, to my podcast of pointlessness. This time I am not actually recording in the middle of the night, so this is weird as hell. Uh, I'm actually going to, if you listen to the last one, I mentioned that I might actually just, like, record basically what were previous blog posts of mine uh, and story. Basically about stories, about stuff that have, uh, just random crazy occurrences or just bullshit that happened in college or my my previous jobs or like those lists, basically. And I think that's going to be what this post is. Are podcasts considered posts? I guess, I guess they are not. Whatever. Uh, so, uh... I mentioned a list called, which are basically called things I've learned at Illinois State University. That's because that's where I went to college. And there was one for Steak and Shake because I worked there for five years. And there's another one for uh, where I work now in mall security. Uh, I'm not doing those lists today. Uh, I have gone through the school and Steak and Shake lists, and I've decided which ones are at least worth mentioning when I do record them because I there are some that are just pointless they're not funny like I had to make I had to make sure that I went through and I determined which ones were at least interesting if they weren't funny because I'm not going to add in ones that are just stupid because uh, I mean also these these lists are 10 years old at this point uh, I'm, some of them don't stand the test of time and so I'm not going to add anything to those lists that are that I wouldn't at least think is at least somewhat interesting. But the what I'm doing today is uh, three uh, three stories that I wrote uh, of amusing or very annoying things that happened to me, and they all actually made it onto these lists that I mentioned. The, just on those lists are limited to one statement this is this is uh, an actual story of everything from what happened or in that one item this is the whole actual thing i mean some of them might have been a couple items but uh so two of them are well one of them is from school one of them is just a random thing that happened during in life, and then another thing was related to Steak and Shake, but it was it was a trilogy, and mo- for the most part, this is just like supposed to be funny. It's not. It might seem a little pointless ever, in the beginning when I'm telling you like just information the stuff that I was doing, but uh, it gets it gets it's basically just one of those days that everything goes wrong, that kind of thing. So. Uh, I'm just gonna do do them. They're not none of them are super long. There's three of them, uh. So, uh, the names of the people that are in this have been changed. I mean, like, uh, the per uh, the main character is me. Obviously, you know my name is Mark, but in, in these stories, my name is Bob, because for some reason I decided that I was telling this and I wasn't going to do it in fir- first person and I wasn't doing it in third person uh, about myself. But everyone knows this was about me at the time. So, 
This first one is called the bus ride from hell. Alright, so everyone meet Bob. No, not Bob from those Enzite commercials. Bob is your average student at Illinois State University and is planning on going home on the renowned Peoria Charter bus. It's 6.20pm and the bus departs at 6.50. Bob always leaves way too early because he expects a ton of people at the bus as always. He has to be the first on the bus and will do so at all costs. However, this is the first weekend of the new semester and very few people will be going home, especially on the late bus. Bob usually goes on the 325 bus, but does not want to be picked up by his stepmother's depressed, annoying brother because there are no other options. So he avoids one of the most awkward car rides of his life and waits until later. After leaving at 6.20, he walks from Watterson Towers, which is his dorm, by the way, uh, to the student center in the bitter cold. If asked what the temperature was, he would reply, there's not one, since it was zero degrees. Uh, a cold that caused uh, school to be canceled the day before. He walked through the empty quad, proof that no one should be outside, and he gets to the bus stop at 6.30. Of course, arriving way too early to everywhere he goes, as always. In this cold, that's not a good thing. To pass the time, he is listening to music and calls his father to determine whether his, a.k.a. Bob's, car will be at his apartment or return to his parents' house. It's been returned to his parents' house, and his father can't bring it back to him since he is in Champagne for the next two days, which is inconvenient, but that's too bad for Bob. Bob could go take the car, but he decides it's not worth it. Uh, the bus takes forever in getting there. There are only a few other students who need the bus. Bob wonders whether the cold had led to the bus routes to be canceled for the day. Uh, eventually, the bus gets there, though, and the driver gets off the bus to take tickets, etc., but claims that the bus is only going to Midway and O'Hare, uh, two separate airports, if people aren't aware, in Chicago area. Uh, this is a problem. For one, Bob knows Peoria Charter bus routes. He knows they go to Woodfield on Fridays, which is a mall that is in my, in my town. Uh, he hasn't been on the late bus for two or three years, but he knows they go to Woodfield. He also has a ticket that only goes to Woodfield, brought to, bought two months ago for a weekend he didn't end up go, using the bus. The driver decides to call the other bus, which never showed up, and ask them where they're going. Meanwhile, the other soon-to-be passengers, who aren't going to Woodfield or Oakbrook, climb up the stairs. None of them, of course, have tickets. The four people who are going to Woodfield or Oakbrook wait outside in the freezing cold. Bob wonders how he hasn't become a human icicle yet. After waiting ten minutes, the bus driver dictates that he'll have to take them, but he's going to go to O'Hare first. Inconvenient, but that's too bad for Bob, too. Bob, pu Bob puts his suitcase on the bus and gets on. Bob is forced to sit behind some random Asian man who is sleeping with the seat all the way back so he, c he could have a seat to himself. Uh, yeah, because... Excuse me. Uh, Bob nicknames him Freeloader because he looks like a bum, even though Freeloader has a cell phone and thus cannot possibly be a bum. He didn't seek. See, eh. Bob. Bob also sits next to two random women who appear to be attempting to make scrapbooks while on a bus, nicknamed accordingly as scrapbookers, and also a couple with one child, the age of which Bob cannot determine since it's dark, possibly five. The kid doesn't present any problems, although Bob expects him to do so. The bus leaves. 
finally, 10 minutes after it was supposed to. The bus clocks as 7.11, but it's fast by 10 minutes. Uh, Bob listens to his iPod and figures there wouldn't be any problems. He was wrong. Uh, the scrap the scrapbookers keep turning on and off uh, the light above them. Apparently, they didn't realize other people on the bus were trying to be on a bus with no lights on, and their light was ruining it. They turn it off eventually, but Bob can he- hear the kids snoring even though he is listening to his somewhat loud iPod, and the scrapbookers uh, uh, also keep hitting Bob with their scarves in the darkness. Uh, Bob tries to determine when the bus will make it to Woodfield and hoped it wouldn't be until after the Hawks-Rangers game would be over. Uh, He figured it wouldn't get back until around 11, and ultimately he wound up being right. Bob calls his mom and asks whether she wants to pick him up at O'Hare or Woodfield. Woodfield is closer, but would be be later. His mom decides upon Woodfield, even though O'Hare would have been more convenient for all parties involved. A little while later, the bus driver announces their first stop is Pontiac. He also says this is not a rest stop. This is a pickup, a pickup slash drop off passenger stop, so do not exit the bus. Of the approximately 50 times Bob has taken or this bus, there has only been one person who has ever gotten off at Pontiac. Pontiac is, in fact, a rest stop, otherwise the bus would never go there. The driver parks in some random gas station and goes in. If there were ever going to be passengers there, they would be waiting right next to where the bus would pull up. Uh, the bus driver instead went inside the gas station. There would never be any inside of there. If, if they aren't waiting for the bus outside, they don't exist. You don't walk into a building to find the passengers. The passengers come to you. If they aren't outside waiting, it's too bad for them, then. The driver sits in the gas station for five minutes, perhaps using the facilities, which is pointless since there are f- facilities on the bus. Why did they stop here? Bob will never know. His final guarantee that Pontiac is a rest up is that once the bus driver came back, he also had food with him. So it was a rest up. Uh, the next stop is Joliet. No problems here, a standard stop for most trips home. The only confusion coming when the bus driver drives around the mall until the other bus leaves at the same time. Uh, they apparently have to leave together. While at Joliet, however, the driver uh, says that they will go to Oak Brook, then Woodfield, and then O'Hare. He appeared to be intelligent and was choosing to go to the correct route. At this point, Bob moves back a, back a seat since there were now open chairs and he wanted to not be behind uh, the guy in front of his chair, which, as mentioned before, was all the way back. Uh, eventually, they get to Oak Brook. Uh, Bob calls his mom to tell her that they're going to be at Woodfield soon. The one person who is going to Oak Brook asks the driver to drop him off in the parking lot, and the driver instead goes next to a department store. Uh, the driver walks around, walks down the aisle and asks Bob if he is going, getting off at Oak Brook, unbeknownst to him he, since he wasn't paying attention. After he realizes the driver is talking to him, he tells the driver he's going to Woodfield, correcting him for the upteenth time. He then tells the rest of the passengers that their next stop is O'Hare. Apparently he changed his mind, or forgot, or was just dumb. Or maybe he was just too dumb and forgot that he changed his mind. Uh, the, the Woodfield passengers protest, having just called their parents to pick them up relatively soon. Uh, the bus driver didn't hear them or didn't care. Uh, Bob tells his mom to tell her of the driver's idiocy. The driver backtracks and goes to O'Hare. Uh, Bob is convinced that... Uh, convinced they were never there since he never saw the Alcide Arena. 
but before be, but before they went to O'Hare, they stopped to drop off uh, that guy that was in the seat in front of Bob at some random bus station. He, of course, for, did not put his chair back when he uh, got off the bus. Uh, they finally go to O'Hare, dropping off no more than five people, including the random scrapbookers. Uh, they, of course, had to go to three different terminals. Now there were only the five people going to Woodfield. Two of them moved up a few chairs. These include random girl number one and random girl number two. When they get onto 50, Route 53, finally, random girl number two calls her parents, or so Bob assumes, and proceeds to tell her where they are. Only she stays on the phone for the rest of the time and keeps telling them where they are every two seconds. Uh, random girl number two now reminds Bob of every time his father is on the phone with his stepmom. Random girl number two goes and sits in the front seat, apparently directing the driver. Bob assumes the driver knows where the hell he is supposed to be going, uh, but apparently this was not the case. Bob assumes random girl number one is directing the driver to a random destination inside Woodfield of her choosing and not next to Firestone where they needed to be going. This isn't the case. Oh, as the driver completely passes the entrance to the parking lot, Bob calls out that Firestone is over in the direction that it is and points like an evil monkey from Family Guy if you don't get the reference. Uh, Bob gets a response from random girl number one that he can't hear and eventually they turn right into the parking lot while random girl number two repeats to her parent, repeats everything to her parents continuously. Uh, they park at the uh, 999 building which was their address, it's just a building with that sign anyway, uh, since the driver can't determine where Firestone is even though he just needed to drive around the mall, especially since Firestone was visible from where they had parked Bob attempts uh, calling his mom to pick him up there, but she doesn't pick up, after a few moments he determined that she left the phone at home convenient he exits the bus and gets his suitcase. Random girl number one complains about the bus driver's idiocy and that she tried directing him to Firestone, but he wouldn't listen to her. Uh, he then appeared to be leaving them in the cold before their rides even got there. Bob, de Bob determined that he'd just walk to Firestone if he had to. Then the driver asked if they wanted him to drive them to where their rides were. I mean, isn't that the concept of a bus ride home? Anyway, uh, they got onto the... They got onto the bus again, Bob trying to maneuver his suitcase up the stairs now and through the narrow aisle. At, at this point, random girl number one's ride shows up and she offers Bob a ride over to Firestone. Deciding that it would be easier to go with her since she knew where they were going, he drags his stuff back off the bus. They drove, to fi they drove to Firestone and Bob's mom isn't there. At this point, Bob and random girl number one laugh at the Peoria Charter bus as it passes the Firestone. Uh, he decides that she uh, she wouldn't have have to be there soon if she if she hadn't gotten there yet. Random girl number one's dad offers Bob a ride home, but Bob's mother shows up at that exact moment. Uh, Bob thanks them and gets into his mom's car. At which point, Bob is starving since he hasn't eaten anything since eleven thirty a.m. and it is now almost eleven p.m. While on the way there, Bob's mo uh, Bob's mom tells him that the Hawks lost, making the game pointless to watch, and they go to McDonald's who proceeds to get Bob's order wrong. Uh, Bob is not happy and doesn't know how if he ever wants to go on that bus again. The end. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was a fun time. So, uh, on to the second one, which is another similar kind of annoying story.
this one is basically just called transportation fail because it was the time a car broke down. So, spoiler. This is the summer after that, sometime in July. Uh, the following is a, sh a short story entitled Transportation Fail, brought to you by the letter K. Names has, of course, been changed, though they're easy enough to figure out. So, now that hopefully everyone is reacquainted with Bob, we will n now tell the story of the day from hell, for lack of a more clever term. It is nearing the end of Bob's summer vacation, and thankfully no longer has to deal with Peoria Charter buses, at least for the remaining few weeks of a very uneventful summer. He now, however, has to deal with his own vehicle's problems. Let's get right to, the, to it then, shall we? One Saturday afternoon, Bob and his friend Joe have decided to go to Evanston's to see the movie, quote, a thousand minus 500 periods of 24 hours of the opposite of winter. I'll give you a cookie if you, fi you can figure that one out. It's not as difficult as it seems. Which, inconveniently, was only a limited release and not in the majority of theaters. And yet, movies like Bruno somehow make it into all theaters nationwide. How this kind of thing happens, Bob doesn't know. Anyways, Bob and Joe were going to go there via multiple trains, but Bob didn't want to wake up any earlier than was necessary, and figured driving there would not be an issue. He was wrong. He had planned... They had planned to see the 210 show, which was quickly no longer an option, when Bob's mom returned home from work 20 minutes late. Oh well, that's not a problem. So the two of them set off to the place of Bob's birth, no, really, it really was, and all seemed fine. Sure, they had to deal with a suicide traffic circle, but it, it wasn't something Bob hadn't done before, even if it had been years since he'd pulled off such an astonishing feat. Bob is occasionally annoyed by the car going seemingly faster than it should be for no real reason. Eventually, Bob and Joe pass the Gulf Mill Mall. <sighs> Anyways, uh, where they believe their other friend Toxin, yes, Toxin, works. This was before I worked at that mall for eight years. Uh, anyways. Uh, but now would not be the time. Upon, or excuse me, uh, Bob had mentioned them showing up there and causing trouble for Toxin, who, was, who is a mall cop. But now would not be the time. And now would never be the time, because now I'm a mall cop at the same mall. Uh, upon getting to Evanston, they find a number of one-way streets that only serve to be a problem. Eventually, they find the theater and the parking garage and enter it, taking a ticket they would get validated at the movie theater, or so they, so they wouldn't have to pay for it. Bob circles the parking garage a few times, since there are absolutely no spots that he could get to. This pisses Bob off, since he want, wants to see the movie as early as possible. Not going to happen. As, as he was turning into one side, the car decides to stop and to not do anything at all. Bob is confused. He turns off the car and restarts it, and it works again. But Bob could only figure that this would only be temporary. He was right. After circling one more time, the car dies at exactly or at basically the same spot. He can't restart it no matter how much he tries. Luckily, he had managed to get the car into an aisle so that at least most of the cars could go around him. Bob and Joe get out of the car. 
Bob calls his mother since he has no idea what's going with what's wrong with the car. His mom suggests that maybe there's no gas since the gauge has a tendency to lie. This cannot be the case since it says that there is half a tank. Uh, Bob has been or Bob has seen it screw up before, but it's never been wrong by half of a tank. His mother suggests that maybe it's messing up if they're on an incline. There is an incline, but not much of one. Eventually, Bob's mother calls Bob's grandmother and uncle and sends them to Bob and Joe's location. But first, Bob had to call and tell them where they were. Uh, he does so, and of course, his favorite uncle, Roberto, uh, answered the phone asking where he was. His uncle asked if he has his uncle's uh, his phone number, uh, but Bob can't check since they're currently on the phone. Inevitably, his uncle tells him that they will be there in 20 minutes. Considering it took Bob and Joe roughly an hour, he does not, not know how that will happen. Meanwhile, Bob and Joe sit by the car and tell the other cars to go around since he can't move the car. Every now and then, he tries to restart the car just in case it will work randomly, which, of course, it does not. Eventually, the lady who works there uh, walks toward them and asks what's wrong. Bob and Joe explain the situation and say that a tow truck is on the way, even though it currently isn't. Uh, she mentions going to, at, to ask the security guards for jumper cables, since they have them. Uh, Bob explains that the car doesn't need a jump since it has power, it just won't start properly. Not that Bob has any idea on how to jump a car anyways, unless it involved physically jumping over it. He has seen the, this performed only twice. Once after eating a, at a Weber grill with his mother, his mother's boyfriend, Graz, and his sister, Dino, and another time at school. Eventually, the lady who works there leaves. Bob tries to push the car unsuccessfully as expected. Later, security guard who guards parking garages number one and number two show up, henceforth just known as guards number one and two, uh, with, ju with jumper cables. Lady who works there didn't get it, apparently. Uh, they explain that the car needs to be moved, and Bob and Joe explain that the uh, car won't move regardless of what they do. It doesn't need a jump. After a Mexican standoff, Bob still has no idea why it's called such a thing, but his mother insisted it is, uh, they conclude that the four of them will be able to push the car. They do so, inevitably uh, pushing the car into a sp uh, space along the wall. The guards leave at this point. Bob and Joe now sit and wait for Bob's grandmother and favorite uncle Roberto to show up, who of course aren't there in the 20 minutes Roberto says they will be. Uh, so they sit there... By the car waiting and waiting. They decide that they were really supposed to take trains that day. At some point, they decide that they could have seen the movie and had the, then had his grandmother arrive on the scene of the er, crime. Uh, that, that would have been more convenient since then they could have just went home with them. Instead, they uh, have to wait for them to arrive and then see the movie. They were determined to still see the movie, since otherwise they had gone through, gone there and had such problems for no reason. And they just end up having to do it again. They decided to go outside the parking garage and wait for them to arrive, but first Joe decided to buy some donuts. Well, it, it, it was more like a find a place to buy food, which ended up being dipped pastries. Figure that one out. Uh... After Joe returns with the food, Bob's favorite uncle Roberto calls, asking where they are. 
and Bob tells them the intersection where the parking garage is as they go stand by it. Apparently, they are on the other side of the train tracks. Eventually, they get there, and Bob and Joe enter Bob's grandmother's vehicle. They circle the parking lot for a while as the road to Bob's car is seemingly blocked. Bob's favorite Uncle Roberto, as per usual, finds every moment not making some rude remark is a moment wasted. Uh, eventually, they get to the car. Roberto decides that the car is out of gas and wrongfully scolds Bob for not putting gas in the car. Uh, Bob says there is a half tank of gas, and Bob was right, since after putting more gas into the car, it still failed. Uh, Roberto messes with the car for a while. Try, he tries to start it a few times, discovers that the car is apparently two quarts low on oil, and decides that the, the problem is either a computer chip or a distributor. Uh, Bob calls his mother, who calls a tow truck place, and Bob's grandma and favorite uncle Roberto leave. Uh, Bob and Joe now have to wait for another half hour for the tow truck. So they sat and waited some more. And some, at some point during the day, Bob wonders how he's going to get to work the next day at beef and ice cream in the form of a drink. But isn't really sure he cares. His second car was currently in North Carolina, where his sister, Dino, had an internship for the summer. Eventually, Bob spots a tow truck circling the other side of the parking garage and tries to wait... Uh, to wave him down and fails. Uh, the second time he comes around, Bob and Joe run like hell and wave down, uh, wave him down. Uh, tow truck boy attaches Bob's car to the crucifixion truck and tows it uh, out of the garage. Bob and Joe are confused, and although uh, that although they never got to do anything at all, they still had to pay for parking. Uh, Joe paid the $3 since Bob didn't take money out of his account since he didn't foresee such problems happening. Uh, Bob signs a form and the guy tows the car away. Now Bob and Joe can finally see the movie. Uh, they finally, they would have to take the trains home, uh, like they had originally planned. The earliest of which, after the movie, would be at 8pm to Chicago and then 10.40pm to Schaumburg at which point Joe's mother would have to drive them back to Bob's so Joe can retrieve his own vehicle and go home, if only it would end up being so easy. So they go to see the movie, which the early show they could see uh, is at 5.50. So uh, Bob knows that the movie is 95 minutes long and that they might end up cutting it close to the 8 p.m. train. If so, there there was always the CTA. Uh, the the movie was decent, but not as good as Bob and Bob had expected. Uh, certainly not worth the trouble of what they what had just happened. But oh well. Uh, people even applauded the film, which just confused Bob and Joe, since it was a movie and not some sort of live performance of any kind. One second. Is. As the movie ended, Bob and Joe scurry over to the train station with fifteen minutes to spare. The second they got onto the platform, Bob spots a man lying on uh, the ground, apparently sleeping, which he mistook for a random dead guy. Uh, They sit there and wait for the train. While while waiting, some random guy who who looked like Peter McNichol started talking to Joe. After they dispense of Peter, Bob and Joe walk to the other side of the platform to get away from him. At approximately 8 p.m., a train shows up on the other side of the platform, but that was clearly from Chicago. 
Uh, Joe calls his mother and asks if uh, she got the right train times, which apparently she did. The train was apparently just going to be a half an hour late, per an announcement that just managed to happen over the intercom. Uh, while waiting, Bob got annoyed as he saw a woman on the opposite platform with a bag from the Blackhawks convention, which he was supposed to have gone to. Eventually, uh, the train shows up and they take it to the Ogilvy Transportation Center slash Citibank building, which uh, Bob and Joe have conveniently been to twice this summer be- beforehand, since it's right across from Union Station. Uh, the ticket people never show them, never ask them to buy tickets conveniently, which is ironic considering they said to the people in the seats on the other side of the aisle that there would, uh, there would be no discount since the train was late. Upon arrival, Bob and Joe decide to eat dinner since Bob hasn't eaten since before the, before he left, and Joe, well, suffice to say, they needed food. Uh, since the barrel needed to only have mediocre pizza left, and Arby's was closed. Uh, Bob and Joe decided upon Makudanodo. Uh, if you've read Chris Jericho's book, you, you get that reference. Uh, anyways, uh, Bob pays for the food since, uh, Joe will have to pay for the train tickets. After seemingly forever, they get their food and ate it in the food court. Soon after, Bob and Joe go to the train station and Joe buys the tickets and then they wait for 50 minutes before the train departs. Amidst numerous Blackhawks fans who clearly had some, uh, had gone where uh, Bob was supposed to have gone to that day as well. Uh, so they sat and waited by the doors to the track, which said track number 11 every three seconds and was annoying. Eventually, they board the train. Amongst them were uh, Blackhawks fans number one and two, family with screaming child, weird Chinese drunk guy who clearly barfed all over his shirt and kept changing seats went without speaking one word, and most annoyingly, sitting right in front of Bob and Joe, really ugly couple who found any second that they weren't kissing to be a second wasted. Bob wanted to sit, uh, to sit, uh, to hit them with a sledgehammer or barbed wire, barbed wire baseball bat or something like that. Eventually, the Bob and Joe got off the train at Schomburg, and they finally got home at 11.45 at night. And Bob dubbed this the most pointless day ever and went to bed wondering what the fate of the vehicle would be. The end. Really annoying shit happens. Okay, so the third and final one isn't so much vehicles and shit fucking up. It's, this is basically the story of why I quit my job at Steak and Shake. So, this is more I got annoyed at people. Anyways. The following is a short short story entitled Job from Hell, and it is brought to you by the letter L, and the abbreviation S&S, which y'all should know why it's that, because that's the name of the restaurant. Uh, Now that we recall who Bob is, we will now tell the story of his favorite job ever at beef and ice cream in the form of a drink, which you may recall from the previous story, although probably not. I guess you would because you just listened to it, but these were, this is a year apart from the last one of the, when I actually wrote these. Anyways, uh, Bob expects that more people read, I didn't even need to read that. Anyways, one fine Monday morning, Bob wakes up to go to work after barely sleeping the night before as usual. 
The thought of working here, although having worked here, uh, there for five years, literally keeps Bob up at night. Uh, Bob gets on, gets on his apron and red bow tie, although still confused as to why he doesn't have a black bow tie, considering everyone wears black, bo- black bow ties now, uh, considering the, the, bo- the colors of the bow ties are now meaningless. One, one of the colors used to specify that someone was a supervisor. Uh, but they never gave, uh, give Bob the proper uniform requirements, much like they never give Bob more than five hours of work a week even though he's uh, worked there for five years and deserves much better than this. Bob was told that they, quote-unquote, hired too many people, which, when he finally got to return to work, and was only able to work once a week, which is weird considering other people come back from college and get more hours than he does. Uh, On one hand, Bob needs the money and wants to ask for more hours, but on the other hand, the job causes Bob vast physical and emotional pain, and he doesn't want to work more if he doesn't have to. He's hated the job for 90% of his tenure there, and that has only increased in the past year or so since there have been uh, new managers. Although one manager is still the same and one is nice, the one Bob normally gets the pleasure of working with is quite the opposite. She will be known as Michelle. No relation. I say no relation because I have a stepmom named Michelle. But this person's got nicknamed Michelle because they're very similar people and they're both awful. Anyways, uh, now Michelle doesn't seem like she likes Bob that much. She makes it a point to correct at least one thing he's been doing a week, as if he had somehow been doing his job wrong for the past four years and doesn't know what he's doing. She even corrected him on a day he wasn't working and had just gone in to get his paycheck. Now, normally Bob can just grin and bear this, considering she is the manager, although it's quite annoying that he has to be told he's doing something wrong, even though he knows it's right. The problem is that now he has to deal with jazz. See if anyone gets that reference. A new woman who's worked there less than two months, whose job is to put condiments and such on sandwiches, uh, make fries, that kind of thing. Uh, it's called front dress or back dress. It's just basically like one person grills the burgers and the rest put uh, put the stuff on top of the burgers and so on. Bob never expected to have problems with Jazz. He's never had any problems with any of his coworkers. In fact, the only trouble Bob's had at work were with insane customers, but that would be expected at any fast food restaurant. Surprisingly, since his return to work in April, Bob has encountered a shockingly low number of asshole customers, but this could also just be because he only works one day a week. Bob gets to work to find that for once in a blue moon, there is another girl working drive through with him, known as co-worker number one. And co-worker number one is normally making the shakes, but instead they uh, they had another person doing that on this day. Oh, so that's co-worker number two. Don't. Uh, anyways, uh, because he had s- someone working with him, Bob assumed he'd have an easier time uh, since drive through is usually pretty simple when there's two people. So the two of them start the day with Bob taking orders and coworker number one taking uh, the customer's money and handing out the food and so on. And things are going along just fine. However, uh, this would not last. Soon enough, it became very busy. Both dine-in and drive-thru. 
the fact that it's busy on Monday is really confusing to Bob since it's normally dead, but that has not been the case in recent weeks. It gets so busy that there that uh, there any time one car would get their order and leave, there would immediately be another car waiting to order something else. During this time, Bob has to take orders, make the drinks, sometimes involving get, going out into the survey area to get iced tea and or coffee, cash out orders if coworker, coworker number one is already doing something else, bag food, and hand everything out to the customer in less than two minutes and 15 seconds to be considered efficient. Now, this is hard enough that hard enough without Michelle consistently asking why someone's drinks weren't made or why someone's been there for X amount of minutes, likely because they ordered chicken fingers or a ton of food. Uh, not to mention that every second Bob manages to not have a customer to deal with, Michelle asks or tells him to help with the dishes, of, of which there are a large, a large number of tubs filled with them to be cleaned. Uh, Bob does the best he can with them whenever possible, but is always interrupted by another customer before I can get a good number of them done, because, of course, the serving the customer is his primary job and has to be taken care of before any dishes get done. So needless to say, the dishes keep piling up, with only a small number of them getting cleaned at a time. Eventually, coworker number one leaves to go, to go visit the doctor, so Bob is left alone, which isn't a, which isn't a problem. Uh, Bob still has to deal with Michelle constantly telling him to start cashing people out or making drinks, etc., while uh, taking a customer's order on the headset at the same time. Uh, the problem with this being that if he starts doing things while he attempts taking the order, he will no doubt forget something or get something wrong. Not to mention if he is giving something to the customer at the same time, they will think he is talking to them which he is actually t- while he is actually talking on the headset, creating mass confusion. Eventually, Bob has about two cars left in the line and has just cashed out one of them. Uh, Bob starts thinking of what he needs to, uh, needs to do to start stocking up before, it, because it's within an hour or so of when he's supposed to leave. Uh, while he's doing this, he can hear in the back of his mind that Jazz is asking him for something, but he isn't really paying attention because he's more concentrated on what he's doing. She then gets mad at him because he didn't do anything and had to... and. She, so she had to move about one foot to get the thing herself. Uh, she goes on some tirade about uh, how she's always helping with everything and so on and so forth, and he couldn't get some item for her, which in reality he hadn't been paying attention to her, so he couldn't have done so. So now it's a big problem. Now the problem here is that Jazz is acting like she is doing more than she has to do to help him and others, than that being the definition of help. The difference here is that the only thing she is doing that she is going out of her way to do is take the carry-out orders up to the counter to give it to its respective customer. Uh, While this is indeed helpful, 95% of the time she would do this, Bob has bagged the food and was about to bring the food to the customer himself. He He only didn't do so because she asked him if he would like her to do so, so he gratefully said yes. Uh, but again, he could have easily done this himself. Everything else she was doing was listed in her job description, but she was acting like what she was doing was something she didn't have to do. Like, if she refused to do them, she wouldn't get fired or something like that. Uh, she was mad that Bob didn't put the fries in their, co- in their containers when an order required them, which Bob was indeed doing if he had the time to do it, uh, 
she seemed to expect that he would not only do everything that he had to do to take care of a customer, but start doing part of her job at the same time. Bob guesses that she doesn't realize that before he can do her job for her, he has to take uh, he has to complete his job, uh, which coincidentally she uh, would have to have done her job for him to do his. It's a circle. After deciding he doesn't really care in his head about Jazz's problems with him not doing her job for her, Bob goes about his business. In the process, uh, Bob d- did start to help. Uh, did start help pouring out the fries or whatever else he needed uh, that he could do himself when he had the time to do it, uh, like he had already been doing before Jazz started complaining. Unfortunately, things would not end there. Later, during happy hour, which is two hours long and thus confuses the hell out of Bob because he has a math degree and doesn't know how one hour can be two, two hours, uh, things get busy again. Like usual, Bob is doing everything he can to get things done as quickly as possible, considering he is alone. Michelle is helping get the food to the customers faster. Uh, naturally, the one, uh, the, one sec- the one second Bob stops to think of what exactly needs to be done next, Michelle tells him to get fries or whatever in a way that, uh, that sounds like she thought he was just standing there doing nothing whatsoever to help at all, and not about to do something that, need- that needed to be done. You know, the usual. And as as if it was necessary, Jazz makes uh, some comment to the extent of, no, he doesn't do that, possibly just to piss off Bob further. Eventually, it, be- it comes to be 3.30, at which point Bob is supposed to uh, leave because he works 11 to 4, and he, do- he doesn't take a break like he's supposed to if he does... It- if he's like he's supposed to do if he works for five hours. Bob never takes breaks unless uh, asked to do so because he would prefer to just leave early instead of uh, to take a break in between and leave at the normal time. Unfortunately, because of the aforementioned hour that causes mass, com- mass confusion to mathematicians, uh, Bob finds uh, himself still working at four or even later, working at least an hour longer than he is supposed to, Bob doesn't Bob doesn't care that he only works one day a week. He still expects to leave promptly and doesn't care about any more money that he happens to get from spending more time there. If they wanted him to work so badly, they would schedule him more often. And thinking he might be able to leave soon, he makes sure his uh, side work is done. But naturally, a number of cars continue to show up because they just have to have uh, their half-price shakes so Bob gets to stay longer. Eventually, Jazz uh, asks Bob when he's supposed to go home, at which point uh, Bob replies that he was supposed to leave uh, half an hour ago. Now, you remember all of those dishes that didn't get done? Well, Jazz did. In fact, Jazz exclaimed rather loudly that Bob couldn't leave yet. He had to do all all the dishes first, because, you know, she had the authority to say that. Uh, Jazz tells him that it's his side work to do the dishes. Bob is confused uh, that she would even know what his side work is, considering she doesn't do drive-thru. Bob tells her that it is not his side work to do the dishes. He doesn't have to get every last dish done uh, before he can go home. She then asks why a different manager told another co-worker the day before that their side job was dishes. Bob tells her that the drive-thru person's specific side work is listed on the sheet taped to the wall, and nowhere was it listed on this list that he had to have the dishes done to leave. 
Bob knows for a fact that the dishes are side work of anyone who works in the back and has nothing else to do. That had uh, anyone in the back that has nothing else to do. Uh, thus, anyone making shakes, doing the drive-through, grilling, or dare Bob say it, doing Jazz's job, any of those people were supposed to be doing the dishes in their spare time. Apparently, the fact that Bob had been there for five years and Jazz had been there for two months didn't mean that uh, Bob didn't know more about what they were supposed to be doing in their spare time. It wasn't anyone's specific side work to do them. It's just expected that people who who aren't busy do them, even Jazz. Uh, but no one was forced to uh, stay if they weren't done. Bob remember Bob remembered when they had specific people working there just to do the dishes, and wondered why they didn't eat, have them anymore. Because not having them just caused problems such as these. Eventually, Bob got to leave about 50 minutes later than he was supposed to. He quickly glanced at the sign that Michelle had made him put up about somebody doing scientific tests on the headsets to determine that people were breaking them purposely. And then he laughed at how stupid it was briefly and left in a very bad mood. Apparently, it doesn't matter how long... uh, He's worked at beef and ice cream in the form of a drink. Everything he, everything he does is still wrong, even if it's right, which 90% of the time it is. Bob spends the next week wondering how long it would take Jazz to start shit the next week. He should have seen this coming, considering he's, he had had a conversation a week prior with her about another coworker, the same one who earlier was coworker number two, uh, but he wasn't mentioned afterwards, so I guess the... Didn't really require a nickname. Uh, Jazz had c- complained that this person had was incredibly lazy and wouldn't help her at all with anything, which is weird considering although Bob didn't really know coworker number two well, he kn- he knew that coworker number two had worked there for several years and seemingly was quite good at his job at, as well. Uh, yeah, Jazz uh, sure seems to know an awful lot about. Uh, what people who have worked there for far longer than she has been should be doing. The next week, Bob arrives expecting things to go a lot better. Bob was, of course, wrong. Uh, First, he managed to check his schedule, at which point he discovered he wasn't working at all the next week after that, uh, which immediately pissed him off and made him happy at the same time. He also is uh, working by himself this week, and coworker number one had returned to making shakes. Bob decides to ask Michelle why he isn't working the next day, or the next week. Uh, Michelle tells him that for whatever reason, they have to recertify everyone on drive-thru, and that he would have to retrain before working again. She asked him his availability, which he had told her countless times beforehand, and then decided he could come in the next day for three hours. Bob didn't really understand why he would have to retrain on a job he's known how to do how to do for four years, and also couldn't decide if it was if this was completely false. And she just thought he didn't know what he was doing, so he needed to start over. But Bob decided that that following someone else around while they did the majority of the order takings essentially meant free money, so he went with it. If only he'd been willing after the day was over. So the day goes on as usual, less busy than the week before, but not too much better. Getting the usual comments from Michelle that he always does, eventually Jazz decides to go into the same tirade about Bob not helping her and in turn starts refusing to pour fries for him in times when Bob doesn't have time to be doing this. 
making his average drive through time worse and having it reflect badly on him. Bob is getting severely pissed off that Jazz wouldn't uh, do her job like she's supposed to, and it didn't help that there was a chance there was a 99% chance that if he told Michelle to make Jazz do her job, that Michelle would tell him that Jazz is right, although that clearly was not the case. Bob went on, Bob went on and did nothing about it. Uh, Jazz even starts complaining to him while he's taking someone's order that he needs to bag someone th- something faster, although almost deliberately trying to make him not hear what the customer was saying. Bob tells her that he's doing everything the best that he can and that she needs to stop yelling at him. Uh, Jess says that she's not yelling, she's just telling him, although Bob knows what what yelling is and she was partaking in it. Later, while it was while it was really busy, Bob had taken the bag that was ready to be given to the customer and handed it out. Apparently, this wasn't the right food to give to that customer, even though it was the only one ready, and Bob expects the orders to be made in chronological order. Even though Jazz had stated that the right food for that particular customer was in that bag that Bob had just given to that customer before he had uh, given to that customer before he had done so, so Bob assumed that there wasn't a problem. And then Jazz had afterwards said afterwards that she was in the process of making it. It was almost like Jazz wanted to make him fuck things up. Oh well, mistakes happen, right? Well, not with Jazz. Jazz and or Michelle asked why he didn't check what was in the bag, because apparently Bob had all the time in the world to do this. Uh, Again, Bob expects the orders to be completed in the order they were taken, so the fact that he was given the wrong food to give to that customer wasn't exactly his fault. Yes, Bob should check beforehand, but he doesn't always have the time, and considering Jazz had just said that such and such was in that bag he was just given, and that Michelle was standing right there watching this, Bob assumed that Jazz's statement was correct. Not only was Michelle pissed that he had made a mistake, because, you know, humans never make those, and for some reason blamed him, Jazz... Uh, took it upon herself to say something along the lines of, you think after five years of working here, you you know. Apparently not. Because, you know, working there for such a long period of time makes it impossible for something to go wrong. And considering it was actually her fault, it makes it seem like she is deliberately trying to sabotage things to make Bob look bad and pissing him off to the brink of screaming at her. Uh, it, it doesn't help that a couple of hours later, the same thing occurred, which with uh, nearly the same sequence of events afterwards. Uh, Later, Bob's getting a bag ready for the order that was coming next, and Jazz asked why he is getting a large bag ready for something that doesn't really need one. Now, Bob Bob does this because he doesn't really give a shit about sometimes what size bag he puts things in. It's just a bag. He just cares that they're in a bag. Uh, Bob responds with, why not, and leaves it at that until Jazz uh, realizes that a Frisco melt is next, which is something that would require a long bag uh, next for the order after the one I was getting the large bag for, uh, in the order after that, and then proceeds with the comment of, oh, there's a Frisco melt next. You probably thought that was next. Deciding not to give Jazz the treatment, TM, uh, the the treatment is stabbing someone with 17 toothpicks, dra- uh, attaching them to a car by a rope, and dragging them over hot asphalt, and then dropping them in shark-infested waters. By the way, that was a thing. Uh, you can ask... Uh, mm, 
Anyways, uh, Bob simply stated, I resent that, and went about his business. Bob is getting really tired of this. How tired do you ask? Well, here's a list. Bob is tired of calling and being put on hold for 15 minutes. He's tired of only getting to work one day a week. He's tired of being treated like shit at a job he's worked at longer than 80%, possibly more, of the employees that work there currently. Uh, he's tired of everything. He he does being wrong when he's done everything so much that he knows what he's doing is just fine. Bob is tired of the incessant beeping that is a drive through headset. Bob is tired of asshole customers who want six tomatoes on their cheeseburgers with the edges cut off or ones that think they know how to do their job better than you. Bob is tired of being kept up at night at the thought of working in a job he has despised for five years and has only stayed there for the small number of co-workers who has worked there nearly as long as he has and also didn't see the point of getting a different job during summer breaks from school. But school is over and done with now, and most of all, he's sick of Jazz's stupid comments. He's worked there for five years and doesn't need some stupid asshole co-worker to go along with the stupid asshole customers. Bob does... Bob doesn't need this anymore. In fact, he is beyond done with it. Why did you think it took him so long to go back there when he graduated in December? It's been a long time coming, but Bob is quitting. Anyways, the end. So, those are basically those stories. Uh, much less abbreviated version than the ones that would be in the the lists that I'm going to do at some point. They'll probably be sometime soon. Maybe as early as tomorrow I'd start one, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, hopefully you at least found some amusement in my misery from those three stories. Uh, so like I said, uh, I have two of those lists ready to go to record. I'll record one of them Start, I don't know if I'm going to do one list all in one post or, or in one episode or not. We'll find out. But my voice is hurting now after reading all of those. So that's going to be it for this. Hope you enjoyed all that bullshit. All right. Have a nice day.